everyone so good to see you the Johnson's backyard good morning to everyone online we miss you this morning if you didn't go to the beach and are watching online we are standing in a beautiful backyard this morning we're so thankful for Kathy and Brian for letting us worship together so why don't you stand if you're here if you're at home if you want to stand or sit down we just pray that you would experience God's love this morning
because, Father, it's you that we adore. And how grateful we are, Heavenly Father, that you are present and we can rest in you. So this morning we wait. We wait with expectation. We wait with open ears, with open hearts, with open hands. God, we wait and we expect. We want you to show up. We want you to speak to us. We thank you, God, for the privilege of worship. We thank you that we can lift up our voices in unison, in praise to you, whether we're here in a backyard or at home on a couch. And Father, this morning, so grateful that this week Brooke has given herself to listening to you. And I thank you that Brooke will bring us a message on Sabbath, on rest. She'll help us understand. And I would just pray, Father, you'd give her freedom, freedom to speak deeply from her heart and to open up God's word to us. We thank you for that. We thank you for every element of this service, this gathering together. And join our hearts as we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you all can go ahead and have a seat. And again, another time, just welcome to all of you. We're so grateful to have you part of this worship gathering at the river, whether you're here in this beautiful backyard or you're at home online. Just so good to have you here. And especially if you're relatively new to the river, welcome. We're glad that you're part and uh, hope you find a, a place of connection. Uh, in two weeks, we celebrate Easter, and of course, every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for us, but we're going to gather on the beach at 8.30 for Easter celebration, and then we'll gather up at the Norris at 10.30 for our second celebration. So please join us, invite your friends for really a very special Resurrection Sunday morning. And last week, Taylor continued this wonderful journey we have in what we're calling the art of following Jesus, and he talked about our gifting and the fact that we have the opportunity to serve. And I want to introduce to you someone that you probably know, Nigel Thomas. Why don't you come on up here, Nigel? Yeah, give him a big hand. Because here's a guy right here, Nigel. Come on right over here. Here's a guy who uh, who loves to serve, and just the joy of the Lord just emotes out of him and uh, so I'm, I'm going to ask Nigel just to share a little bit about the place he's found for serving and connection here at the river and, uh, and we call those small groups we, we call them grounded groups and uh, tell us how you got introduced to grounded groups and get right up on that microphone yeah sure well um, <clears throat> I think just to just to be totally real to start off with when, when Todd mentioned to me that he wanted me to say a few words this morning I was like why? <laughs> you know, why me? Because because you're Nigel. I haven't done anything special, you know, and 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 I mean, maybe not even intentional. And and uh, we are we are just uh, like everybody else, you know. Um, my 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 seven year old son was fist pumping this morning when he didn't have to go to Sunday to, to, to Sunday school. So um, there you go. Yeah. So um, but yeah, we were introduced to grounded grooves actually through Bob and Judy Pike. Mm -hmm. um, we I think we were new to the church at the time and. Um, and uh, we just happened to be 
sitting next to them in the Norris and Bob was like, hey, well, we have an extra spot in our grounder group and, you know, we, we, we ended up joining them and, you know, here we are probably about five years later and we are, uh, we actually host grounder group at our house on Thursday nights now, wow. which and we love. And, and that's awesome. Thank you for doing that, for hosting that. And uh, how, how do people find their way into a grounded group? Yeah, you know, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, I can't give you uh, the full scientific answer, but I suppose if you if you hit up the church's website, I mean, you're welcome to talk to me too, to, to either myself or my wife, Jody. Um, but I think you can just ask anyone that's up here and they'll probably direct you back to the church's website. So yeah. I haven't I haven't done enough research to give you a good answer. I like that. Uh, I like that because because someone usually invites you and you're welcome to, to get into a grounded group. Tell us what, what, what a typical night is like in your grounded group in your house. Yeah, so we have, I think we probably have um, about, you know, sort of eight to ten couples. We actually, Jody and I are the youngest one. So I think there's only one other couple that has a school-aged um, child uh-huh. in uh-huh. our group. So we... We consider ourselves to be hugely blessed because we just get all this wisdom that comes from all these, you know, more experienced, more seasoned um, Christian families and, that, and, and parents. That, that's a very right? gracious so. way of saying it. More seasoned. That's yeah. that's really nice. <laughs> well played. Yeah. So we, yeah, we love it, and um, you know, I think that we haven't, we really haven't done anything special. We just knew, like, if we could just open our home and kind of, you know, I'd say show up, but we actually live there, so. We, we don't have a choice. We show up. Um, and, and, and then God does everything else from there, yeah. I think. Oh, that's so, so great. That's yeah. so great. Well, Nigel, thank you very much. Give Nigel a big hand. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's so great to have him uh, hosting a grounded group. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's it's really simple. And, and it's what church is supposed to be. It's people gathered around a table, uh, having food, getting to know one another, finding a connection, and uh, and then just enjoying the word of God, the words and ways of Jesus. That, that's what we're about. And the more we focus on the words and ways of Jesus, the more he begins to form us and shape us into a community that can really care for one another. And I, I'm so happy to be able to have Brooke come up here talking about a person that's been shaped by the words and ways of Jesus. Brooke Andrews, so, so delighted to have you open up God's word to us today. And uh, I heard your message on the beach. I'm going to move you up a little bit. I heard your message on the beach, and uh, it's so good. So uh, I hope you got your notebooks. Take some notes, and uh, just be ready. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to stay back here a little bit so we can uh, good morning, everybody sitting at home. It's great to see you. Thank you, everybody who's here in person. I'm going to need lots of feedback from you because <laughs> I just came from the beach. It was a big old service, and this is just so sweet in such a different way. So I'm going to start by asking a question. How many of you have heard of Wim Hof? Does anyone? Okay, one. The beach, there were a few more. Basically, he's this Dutch guy, and he is all about breathing techniques, taking deep breaths and practicing breathing in order to increase your white blood cell count, which actually helps you fight off disease and infection, right? So basically he says, take, you know, do this breathing practice every day. Take big deep breaths 
And that's it. That's all there is to it. And so there's a little bit of breath hold in the middle. You know, he does some funny things to mix it up. He's a huge proponent of the cold plunge. Maybe you've heard of cold plunge, cold taking a cold shower, being good for you, that kind of thing. Well, my husband has followed Wim Hof for three years. He does this breathing every single day. It sounds kind of crazy and weird. It's not that weird. It's literally just... Uh, but about six months ago, I noticed he wasn't doing it anymore. And so I said, George, what happened to Wim Hof? Why aren't you doing the breathing thing anymore? And he looked at me and said, babe, I'm still doing the breathing thing. I just don't do it in front of you anymore because I'm sick of being judged. <laughs> I share this story with you because I want you to know all cards on the table where I am coming into a conversation about rest and stopping and slowing down from. I am the one who fights that so hard, but not only fights it, but who judges my husband for doing it. So this is a message that I need to hear more than anyone, that I am really sitting in and learning from as I have been preparing. And so when we talk about the idea of the Sabbath, I want us to go all the way back to the Old Testament. We know Genesis. It starts, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He creates the land and the sea. It says, and it's good. And then we get to Genesis 2, verse 1. And this is what it says. The creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Completed. Seven. Completion. That's what it means. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation and so he rested from all of his work. And I say, oh, but I have so much going on at work. I don't really have, is it okay if I do this, if I unwind? I don't really have like 24 hours that I can actually take off. I'm looking at the Accardos because I know they, they're in a business where it's kind of always going. You're just, you always have something you could be doing. You always you always have, I'm always checking my email. I don't really have a set schedule. I know there's a lot of you like that, but it says God, God rested. <laughs> and I say, but I'm not really the type that likes to rest or that needs to rest. I actually do better when I just keep going, keep moving, keep focused, accomplish, let's get stuff done. And it says, but God rested. And I say, well, okay. But I have young kids, and young kids never stop to rest. And even when one of my kids is stopping to rest, the other one is certainly not, because that would be unheard of that they would both be resting at the same time. So I don't have time to rest. And we look back at the scripture and see that it says, but, but God, but God rested. God rested. And not only did he rest, but if you look down to verse 3, it says God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work and creation. He declared it holy. So from the very beginning, we see that it is so God's heart, this, this rhythm, this is what God himself does. It so matters to him. And that should be enough that God does it, that God himself does it for us to copy that. But then you get to Exodus 20, and he gives the Israelites the commands as they're wandering around the in the desert. They are not yet to the promised land. And God gives them some, some rules, some ground rules to help 
them. And he says this in Exodus 20, remember to observe the Sabbath. I love that. Remember to observe the Sabbath, like in case you forget. Nobody forgets, right? Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. He goes on. You have six days each week for ordinary work, but on the seventh day, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So the Sabbath goes from a model of what God himself did to now a command for his people because he so desires them to be with him, to rest in him, to stop doing and earning and achieving and producing and creating and to sit still in his presence and receive and be refueled and replenished and refocused. That's his heart for his people. I, in college, had ne- until I got to college, had never understood this. I'd never understood how to rest until I met my husband. We weren't married yet. We were dating. It's 2008, and uh, my husband is living in Orange County, working down there. I was going to undergrad at USC, and I would drive down on the weekends to his parents' house and stay at his parents' house on the weekends, and we would have breakfast on Saturday morning. And it was such a relaxing environment that I would fall asleep after breakfast, just sitting, lounging, relaxing, and I would usually... Like, like almost every weekend, his family still kind of makes fun of me for it. I would fall asleep like until dinner and then we'd have dinner and watch a movie and I'd go to bed. And then the next weekend I would do it all over again. And I, and they thought I was this calm, relaxed person. Sometimes I wonder if my husband knew really what he was getting into because that's what I did every single weekend in college. I was so tired and My body just craved the rest. And the kind of rest that we're going to talk about today that God offers through the Sabbath is the physical rest, but it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just the physical. It's the spiritual. It's it's what you don't even know you need. It's what you crave deep inside that peace, that settled feeling, that anchor, the truth. It's not just a feeling. You are actually anchored and settled in Christ. And so God's people say, well, yes, of course. Well, thank you. Amen. They do. They say amen. They say, yes, we want to do this. Of course they want to do this. And so they try to create some laws. Okay, let's figure out how we're going to actually make this happen. God says, remember the Sabbath. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy that it should be a day where we do not work. So if we are not going to work on the Sabbath, what, what is work? Well, some guy says, this is how I imagine it. Work for me is carrying heavy, you know, stones or lifting something. Okay, good. So no lifting. So they make that a law. Let's make a little note. And I imagine there's a guy in the peanut gallery that says, wait, 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 wait. Technically, I lift my spoon when I eat my cereal in the morning. Is that work? And they're like, hmm, well, no, that's not work. Let's make a weight limit. How about that? So you can lift a spoon, but you can't lift a lamp. So these are, I mean, this is the level of technicality of the laws of Sabbath in the 
for the Israelites, for God's people, who are striving for righteousness before God by keeping his commands is so, it's unbelievable. It's so technical. There are 39 categories, big picture categories of work that are not allowed on the Sabbath. And within each of these big, huge picture categories, there are teeny itty bitty laws that are so, so small. You can't, you can't do this. You can't do this. Well, you can do this, but not this way. And God's people are trying to be righteous by keeping the laws, but keeping the law becomes a defining, it defines righteousness for them. It becomes, they are trying to please God by keeping his law, but then keeping his law becomes the focus. They lose sight. It's not about being with God anymore. It's not about all these things they said, yes, 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 I I want that. I want refuel replenishment to be in God's presence. And so it's tricky because when Jesus comes, he sees what's going on and we've got some tension. We've got some tension here. And we at the river have been walking through what Jesus does in the New Testament. We've been watching his ways. We've been listening to his words, observing, paying attention because we want to know. And this, the Sabbath, this word that means Shabbat to stop, And it means to delight, to stop and to delight. Jesus has something to say about this Old Testament practice. And he interacts with the idea of this Old Testament practice, because he's a Jew, again and again and again and again in the New Testament. We're not going to get into all the stories, but I want to look at a couple today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6 if you have your Bible or you're online or your phone. Or if you'd like to just listen you're welcome to listen too. I'm in verse six here. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. Now the scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward. And he got up and came forward, and Jesus said to them, Sorry, man, it's the Sabbath. I'll heal you tomorrow. No! (laughs) Jesus did not say that. (laughs) If you zoned out, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Jesus says, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it? And after looking around at all of them, he said, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled, it says, with senseless rage and began discussing together what they might do to Jesus. It was at this time that he went off into the mount, into the mountain to pray and spent the whole night in prayer with God. My first question when I read this is, well, if healing was so good, why was it unlawful on the Sabbath? Well, according to God, was it? What was the original command? Remember the Sabbath. Remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Could it be that holiness, according to God, looks different than his people thought it looked? That's going to fire people up when Jesus asks that question. 
that's going to get people thinking because there's already a system of who's doing this well and who's not doing it well and who's at the top of the totem pole and who looks righteous or thinks they're righteous. And Jesus is asking questions that are kind of prodding. And it says, verse 7, they're watching him closely to frame Jesus, looking for a reason to get rid of him. And he's questioning everything. He's turning the tables, I mean, literally and metaphorically, kind of flipping everything over on its head. And he's saying, well, he doesn't say this, but what he is really getting at is, what did my father actually say? And what was my father's heart behind it? What did he actually say? And what did he mean? Why did he say it? And when Jesus points to those things, man, they start coming after him. And my favorite part of the passage here kind of sneaks in in verse 8. It says Jesus knew what they were thinking. So picture Jesus in this situation, confronted on the Sabbath. He's teaching by the word of God. He makes this decision. They're watching. He knows he is above all. He's literally in all. He's in their heads. He knows what they want him to say. What, they, what he would need to do to win at their game, to be a pleaser, to make everybody happy. And what does he do? No. He realigns back to the heart of God. He says, I know what you want me to say, but I'm not going to say it because I am aligned with my father. And how does he know what the heart of the father actually is, other than the fact that he's God incarnate? Look at verse 12. He went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night, it says, in prayer with God. The stories go on and on and on. Jesus healing, casting out a demon, an unclean spirit, Simon's mother-in-law, the woman who's been sick for 18 years. He heals and he prays and he heals and he prays and he teaches and he prays and he prays and he prays. And he's got this rhythm on the sacred and holy day that is called Sabbath, it seems like he's healing. And, and it seems like he's, he's praying and healing more than anything on the Sabbath. Does, does he follow the other? We don't even know what are the other Sabbath laws that Jesus practices. Well, maybe we know a few of them. The point is, he knows he's being challenged. He knows he's being watched. And he still goes up against that Old Testament law because he wants to realign the people back to the heart of God. And what was the original intent? The heart of God for the Sabbath. Turn with me to Matthew 5. I want to know. This is the next passage we're going to sit in. So if you have your Bible, grab it. Turn over there. Is Jesus saying when he breaks all the laws that Sabbath is no longer needed? What is he, what is he getting at? What, how do we live out what the Father wanted? Matthew 5, verse 17 says this, Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter. I love that phrase in the Bible. Not the smallest stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps 
and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness, 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 remember that word, far surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? Does this mean you have to keep the laws of the Sabbath more religiously than the scribes and Pharisees? No, we know that we just saw Jesus broke their, their Sabbath laws, right? Jesus is completing, is fulfilling the Old Testament Sabbath laws. Jesus himself is fulfilling the law. How? When he says, unless your righteousness surpasses the, that of the Pharisees, how do we actually surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? Well, let's ask the question, were the Pharisees actually righteous? What is righteousness? Righteousness is an attribute of God. Where do we find righteousness according to the New Testament? 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's a lot to sit with. I'll read another one. Backs it up. Whoop. 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Thanks, Amanda. For by his wounds you were healed. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. You know that healed and saved are the same word. By his wounds you were healed. By his wounds you were saved. So what is happening? What are we reading right now? Stay with me. The righteousness of God is found through the blood of Christ. Christ's death and resurrection is the only way that we are made righteous before God the Father. Not by keeping these old Sabbath laws. Not by anything you do. So what does this mean? How does this connect to the Sabbath? What does this imply? If God's righteousness is the only way, if, if through Christ, that's the only way we are made righteous before the Father, then we can let go, right? Then you can take a deep breath. <sighs> because it's been done. He did the work. And he gave us the gift, freely receiving even the faith that we have to believe in Christ is a gift of God. As it says in Ephesians 2, you didn't think I was going to let a whole sermon go without slipping in Ephesians 2. The faith that we have to believe in Christ is a gift of God so that no one may boast. Are you tracking with me? We receive from God everything that we need to be right with the Father. And so he says, stop and enjoy me. Breathe me in. Sit with me. You don't need to busy yourself doing stuff for me. Yeah, I will use you. I will lead you to, to my work, to my kingdom work. But how are you going to know what it is if you don't come before me, if you don't sit with me, if you don't depend on me? 
Jesus says, stop, just stop. And I'm the perfect person to teach this message because I struggle with this so much. It's such a simple thing, and it's so hard. I want to achieve and do and accomplish and produce and create and perfect. That's my body. That's my flesh. But what does Jesus do? As we've looked at the Gospels, we've been going through the words and ways of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I think all the way back to Bill. Second week of the year, 2021, he got up and talked about the Eremos, the secret place, the desert, the quiet, that Jesus went to be with the Father. He went alone. He got by himself to be in the presence of God. After and before every single thing he did, he went to the Father. And Todd talked about it in the context of prayer. And James talked about it when he went through and actually listed every single time in the New Testament that Jesus quotes scripture. Do you remember that? It was like 10 whole minutes of his message. And what was, he, what was he showing? He was showing that Jesus is so immersed in scripture that he has been sitting in it, that it just oozes out of him when he is pressed and squeezed and in these situations, what comes out of him? The word of God, because he's literally sitting with God all the time, that it just kind of flows. And so Jesus did this, and if breaking away and getting time with the Father is what Jesus did, and we are following the words and ways of Jesus because we want to be like Jesus, then that's what we have to do too. It's not a shame thing. It's not a guilt thing. It shouldn't give us any anxiety. He is inviting us to stop and rest and receive from him, to be in his presence. And sometimes it has to start as a discipline because it's hard to turn off things in our head but it's meant to be a delight, and there's so much good in it. I'm preaching to myself here because there (laughs) was actually a time this week where I was thinking, man, I feel really tired. I feel really weary. I need rest. I need so much more than rest. I need to be just encouraged and, and lifted up in my body and my spirit. And I thought, gosh, but I have so much to do. I'm going to have to do that later because I need to go write my sermon. (laughs) That's really embarrassing. (laughs) I thought that this week. I need to go, I need to, I'll do that later because I need to go write my sermon on the Sabbath rest. But that's where my mind goes. My flesh goes there. My, my sinful, achieving nature that can't sit in the rest of God and receive what he has for me. Did you know that that's what you're invited to? That he can carry it all? It's not too heavy for him. He says, come to me, you who are burdened, you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me. I will give you rest. I can hold it. About seven years ago, I was in the corporate world working my little tail off as a 20-something, making a great paycheck. I had just gotten a new car. I had been saving up. I paid off all my student loans from USC, which was no small feat, and um, had a great job. And I read this book that just kind of wrecked everything. It's called uh, Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. And in this book, there's a practice called 
silence and solitude, a spiritual practice that she looks at scripture and talks about and invites you into. And I started doing it and it started leading me into some things. Um, I started praying like in a, in a t- whole new way. And I felt like the Lord was leading me to lead our church. I think this was like 2013 in 40 days of prayer leading up to our women's retreat. I would write these emails every single day. I don't know if any of you were around back then or remember that. And I, I was emailing them and praying for this retreat. And God did some powerful things on the retreat. He's stirring in my heart. He's leading me. He's kind of showing me what there is in him that I didn't know was there before. And I've been walking with Jesus my whole life. And there's more. And there, you can always go deeper. And so he kind of redirected me. And he said, you know what? This job that you have, this income, this, this is not what it's about. That's not what I have for you. I, I have this for you. So it's time for you to leave. I thought he was leading me to become a teacher. So I applied to this teaching program. Got accepted at Pepperdine. I'm like all ready to go with this teaching program. And a friend and mentor of mine, Sherry Campa, who I love so dearly, who has given me the freedom, this invitation, over and over again to stop, said, hey, Brooke, I know that you think you're going to be a teacher at a school, like an elementary school or junior high. I didn't know. But uh, I just wanted to let you know that Talbot Seminary has um, the deadline for their applications is tomorrow. And I already wrote and sent in your letter of rec. And um, I think you should just sit sit with the Lord on this one. And I'm like, <laughs> literally, I literally told everyone at my job that I just left. I'm going to go be a teacher. And that's what I'm planning to do. And I'm enrolled in the classes and everything. And I sit with the Lord and I knew she was right. I'm like, what? She's like, I think you're going to be a different kind of teacher. You're on the right track, but you just didn't get there all the way. Fast forward, I end up going to seminary there are these classes that ask me to sit with God for like two hours and just listen and then write what he told me. That's like one of the assignments that I had to do every single week for a couple of years. Take a walk with, with Jesus and just enjoy him. That's the assignment. Did you do it or not? That's how you, you tell the professor. And the Lord led me into these profound spaces. I had this settling of my spirit. I think this is when I became an introvert because I used to be an extrovert and I'm definitely not anymore. I, I experienced rest in God for the first time. I was forced to slow down. It was so uncomfortable. All the people around me are going to work every day. And I'm like, I guess I'm going to go take a two-hour prayer walk and see what happens. Do I have anything to show for it? Maybe not on the outside, but he was doing some things. He was doing some things. He was stirring. He's leading me. He's leading me. He leads me to this organization, to this ministry that I've been working for for the last few years. And I start working for this ministry, and I join their prayer team. If you want to know how to be and go to the presence of God, join a prayer team of women who are in their 60s plus, who have been walking with the Lord their whole life and are just desperate for him. Empty nesters grandmas, just lovers of the Lord. And they know him so intimately. And they showed me how to pray. The words that would come out of their mouth, they would just spend hours and I'd be like, do you guys have anywhere to go? I got to go. Were we going to do this all day? But they they led me to slow down, to stop and taste for myself and see that the Lord was good. I thought 
that I was figuring that out in seminary when I'm doing these solo prayer walks and, and having all this time to slow down and stop. And then I get to do it in the context of people and I'm learning from them. Oh, this is how you can pray? Oh, this is what I can ask for? This is powerful. They're, they're, they are just praying purely the words of scripture because they have like the whole Bible memorized. And they are praying over me and walking with me through some of the hardest seasons of my life. A miscarriage, the birth of our first child, almost losing our first child to health complications, another miscarriage. And this team of women is like, let we will show you how to go to Jesus. Come with us. Fast forward to 2019. I'm talking to a friend of mine on the phone. She says, I have this idea. I, I want to s- gather just a, just a really small handful of women who I know know Jesus intimately, who sit with him, who listen for him, who practice this Sabbath thing. And I want to go deeper with Jesus, with this group. Would you want to be in it? I'm like, of course I want to be in it. I want to go deeper and I want to learn from everyone else how to go deeper. I want to learn from you and you and you and you and your experiences. Let's go to Jesus together. So we start this group. It ends up being seven women. And we're learning from each other. We have no agenda. We have no curriculum. We spend hours in prayer together every week. Just going before the Father, reorienting our lives. And four weeks ago today, I get a phone call. One of the girls in this group. Her husband passed away in the middle of the night. Had a heart attack, 35 years old. Her two-year-old and her five-year-old sleeping downstairs. Just in an instant, her dad is her. Their dad is gone. Her husband is gone. And this group is going deeper with Jesus. You better believe we picked up everything, dropped everything. <laughs> I don't even know how to talk about it. It's really hard. And ran, (laughs) ran to her side, and we sat with her. And there's nothing in that moment that you can say or give. It's just a moment of loss and brokenness and weeping and sorrow and grief. I don't even know what was in that moment. But I will tell you, this Deeper with Jesus group, we climbed on her bed with her. We wept and What else could we do but bring her to the feet of Jesus? We had nothing to give. I had nothing to say. But God has it. He says, if you are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. If you are anxious, come to me and I will give you peace. If you are fearful, My perfect love casts out fear. If you are lonely, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you lack hope? A friend? 
do you need love to know your worth? Everything that we need and that we don't know we need is found in the presence of Jesus Christ. And in a moment like that, you realize, I don't have anything to give except for the presence of God to usher you there, to create an environment, to point you to that. I need to be there. I need to be sitting in the rest and power of God. And that's all that will comfort you on this side of eternity. And so as I have loved her over the last four weeks, driving down to her house, week after week, exhausted and tired from carrying this burden with her, from walking through the season of grief with her, I have seen the Lord provide in ways that I had no idea he could provide. He showed up in such a powerful way. I'm depending on him literally for breath. And I get home and sit in my car usually before I go into the house where my kids need food and a bath and dinner and attention. (laughs) And I think, how am I going to do this? How am I going to switch from weeping with my friend to now being with my family and providing for their physical needs and, and being joyful, being a joyful mother for them and for my husband, providing for his needs. How I don't have anything left in me, God. And he says, you don't need anything except me. Breathe me in. I will provide for you, Brooke. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I've gotten out of the car and gone into my house. Sometimes there's dinner left on the doorstep. I don't know. I didn't ask for dinner. I don't know who gave me dinner for my family. The Lord is providing to me. And and whoever dropped off dinner did so because the Lord was prompting them to care for me because they were in the presence of the Lord listening and waiting and watching for the leading. And so I just feel like I don't have anything to say today. Like, I don't have anything to give you, but I know the Lord does. I don't have anything in my flesh to offer you, but God wants to meet the deep longing of your heart. He wants to meet your needs and beyond, the things that you don't know even to ask for, because he loves you. He says, as my Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. And that's his invitation to us. It is so hard to stop. But what he has for us when we stop is pure delight. It's joy. And so I would love to challenge you to just picture what is a place, a space that would just bring you awe and wonder of God. Picture with me a physical location. Where are you sitting? Where you just stop and say, wow, this is restful. This is rest and delight. And I, with that picture in mind, with that place in mind, I want to take it one step further. There's a difference between having a glass of wine and watching Netflix and some having some me time and the Sabbath, okay? It's a very fine line. 
but there is a difference. One is for ourselves. The other is to position us in a posture of worship. So when you picture that place, that quiet, that space of awe and wonder that leads you to the presence of God, does it position you for worship? And that may be a helpful question for you to think about as you consider, how do I embrace the Sabbath in my life? What does Jesus do? He doesn't give us this list of what we can and can't do. He doesn't want that to be what it's about. He wants to bring us back to the heart of the Father, that we would be with him in such a way that we are filled and overflowing, that we have more to give and more to give because he is our supply, our endless supply. That should be a breath of fresh air. Loosen your shoulders up a little bit and relax. (laughs) I need to. White-knuckling it all the time. What do you need to surrender? What do you need to let go of so that you can enter into that rest? Both the day-to-day rest, the moment-to-moment rest, I need you, God, in this moment, and a season orienting your mind around an actual day where you can stop to honor the Lord and be refueled and replenished in a deep way that provides for your soul for the week. (laughs) That's our challenge this morning. Let me pray. God, I know we want this. I know our bodies and our souls crave it and are longing for it for the replenishment, the rejuvenation, the refueling that only you can provide. Why is it so hard for us to stop for long enough to receive it? It seems like there's so many important things that need to be done. And yet you say, come to my presence, rest in my presence. I will lead you, I will show you I will show you how to do it. I will show you what's most important. Maybe you don't need to do it at all. Thank you, God, for your grace, for your freedom, for your rest. I pray that today we would sit in it, that we wouldn't wait one more minute, but we would go to your feet for however long we have. Fill me. I just want you. I just want to be with you. I just want to know you and your heart, God, because that is what is going to allow me to play my part in the big picture kingdom story. Thank you for giving us this community at the river so that we can figure out how to do this together, so that we can encourage each other in this as each of us play our part. We love you, God.
Brooke, thank you so much. I am so thankful that you are someone who has clearly been following the words and ways of Jesus, and it's so evident in your life. Um, and we are just so grateful to hear from you this morning. So let's give it a round of applause to, to Brooke and just thank her for um, yeah, teaching us. It really is such a gift to clearly see someone who is following the words and ways of Jesus, someone who is stepping in and embodying the Sabbath rest. And even if it's just in this last week and her honesty and humility as she's approached us has been um, so encouraging and powerful and something that I know I want to model and imitate in my own life. So uh, I'm going to lead us in a brief time of reflection that we too can pause. I mean, we've just heard the Lord speak through Brooke this morning, and now we want to pause and, and take a second to think about how can we integrate this into our own lives. So it's not just another sermon that we hear on Sunday, but then don't integrate the rest of the days of the week, but that really we become the people who follow and embody the words and ways of Jesus. So let's take a few minutes, and Godwin's going to uh, tickle the keys for us and uh, lead us in some you know, good background music for us. Uh, and then there's a couple questions that, that uh, Brooke posed to us. I want to ask again to you. Is there something that you have been holding on to with these white knuckles, something that you're grabbing and not surrendering, something that you feel like you need to continue to do and be active in for it to, to stay and continue, something that you need to let go and surrender to God? And the other question is, is there a time that you can set up through your week? Is there a Sabbath day of rest and rhythms and practices that you can integrate into your own life? Uh, maybe it's on Sunday that you set aside the hour or two for that prayer walk and take the time. You know, if you have kids, it might be a little bit harder. You're going to have to persuade your spouse, but maybe you can find a balance and rhythm. And so we're going to take about five minutes or so, and the goal is just to lean in. Wherever you are, just lean in a little bit more is something new to you, just it's going to be a, a little something that's a starter. You've been walking with the Lord for a while. Maybe it looks something more uh, dramatic or bigger to someone else who's just started. So uh, Godwin will lead us and we'll just take some time to reflect and then uh, the worship team will come back up and we'll finish in worship.
single thing to undo that, to make you love us any less. Jesus paid it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for worshiping with us in this beautiful backyard. Kathy and Brian, thank you so much. Let's give them a round of applause. Beautiful home, beautiful backyard. Thanks to everyone watching online. We pray that you really did experience the Lord's presence today. So we'll see you this week community groups, growth, grow groups. So I keep forgetting what they're called. Grounded. I need to get grounded in the word grounded groups. Awesome. Well, bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Have a great week.
Hey!